This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Cody, today, my friend, I am drinking the whiskeys of whiskeys. What do you got? Well, number one, why am I drinking the whiskeys of whiskeys today? Oh, shit. Is today actually your birthday? Yes. Merton's said happy birthday. Merton said happy birthday to me. I don't uh, think you've said happy birthday to me yet. He doesn't know you as well as I do, so he still likes you. <laughs> happy, happy birthday, Robbie. Thank you. I am drinking. I decided that... My mother in Australia, where Craig Merton is from, said to me, I'm giving you $100 for your birthday. And so I decided for the first time in my life to go buy a $100 bottle of whiskey. Is, really quickly, is your mother close enough to go to Craig's house and help him with the technical side of joining a podcast? <laughs> I mean, I know Australia is a big place, but if she's around, maybe she could run over and help him. If she could, <laughs> we wouldn't want her because she struggles to FaceTime. Right, right. All right, go ahead. Talk about the whiskey. Oban, 14-year-old. Oh, 100%. My favorite, my favorite uh, scotch that's realistic is Oban 14. Oh I mean, it's expensive, but it's, all, it's not like no way I could do that. It's like, oh crap, that I just spend that much money. That's the kind of money you spend on a bottle of Oban 14. Yep. $97 was the checkout price. $3 under my budget. And it is phenomenal. Oh yeah, no, it is incredibly good scotch. Absolutely. Happy birthday. Merton, thank yeah, you for my birthday wish this morning. No problems, man. Are you normally this quiet, Merton? We've never heard you this quiet before. No, I'm not, mate. I'll just like to say uh, th thank you guys for having me on. I don't know what my uh, contribution will be, but um, yeah, I'll give it my best shot. Well, why don't you go and introduce yourself, and uh, Cody and I will uh, add information around the edges on who you are. 
Oh, it's pretty simple. Um, my name's Craig Merton. I was born and raised on uh, Kangaroo Island, a little island off, just off the coast of South Australia. I now live on the mainland, which is, um, yeah, the island is only 15 kilometres off the coast. Um, I'm a full-time self-employed fishmonger and a Blood Origins family member. Very much so. Yeah, and you are, you are very much, I would say, uh, family member number one in that um, you were the, you know, one of the first people that we, we talked to that came on board with Blood Origins. Um, and uh, we decided to ask you to help us with Blood Origins Australia. And Blood Origins Australia is the most successful Blood Origins affiliate in the young life of Blood Origins across the world. And I think Cody will uh, agree with me here. The only reason it is that successful is because of Craig Moten. 100% champion of our, champion of our cause uh, in Australia. And done incredible things. And uh, it's, it's very cool. I spend a lot of time looking at our statistics. And it's very cool to see for an organization that's based in the United States and the two, the two uh, actual employees are in the United States how close Australia is in supporting us and viewing our videos and, uh, and listening to our podcast. It's always awesome to see the Australian numbers pop up on the, the data that I study on a daily basis. So thanks to you, Craig, for all that work. No, no problems. No, it's a, it's a, it was easy to get involved because we've always, we've got our, our hunting organizations here, but, and I'll probably get, shot down for this but there's there's too much bickering amongst a lot of the organizations here and that no one seems to i mean i've been involved in hunting for 40 years and it's only been the last i've always been fairly passionate about wanting to see it you know what my kids can do in the future and and um when i saw the blood origin stuff it was just that different approach that i think and that's probably what most australians have have found attractive about it it's um it's the different way you go about it it's the different way you <laughs> my old father and I, I know i can i won't swear i won't blaspheme but my old father used to say that you attract a lot more bees using honey rather than shit and if you can get people on board that are i heard someone talking on the podcast the other night when i was listening that there's so many people that they're, they're sitting on the fence and and once they drop off the bad side, they're very hard to get back on board. Um, but if you can get the, the non-hunting public to to see the good things and that, you know, your average hunter is just a, a normal guy or a normal family man or woman, a family woman, that's, um, you know, it's, I think that's why a lot of Australians have got on board. No, we love it. We absolutely love uh, our Australian Blood Origins family. We've got some great supporters program items out of Australia that we specifically target towards Australian and New Zealand supporters only. And speaking of the supporters program, we are into the month of July. We contacted all of the giveaway winners this morning on um, their June giveaway items. And Cody, I didn't see you into any of these emails, but these guys responded like the guys that were giving the gifts responded within 10 to 15 minutes of me sending the emails and i think five of the six have responded already to the prize saying wow i can't believe i won that's awesome i love uh you know you wish uh it's a real downer we have that a couple of times where people haven't you know where like and, and we know we have their emails correct um but obviously some you know people don't check all their emails and everything but uh it's exciting, man. I, I like doing the giveaways. I think our little system of, of, you know, just about anybody can be involved in our supporters program with truly a $3 a month minimum to be involved. Um, we, we've had some, some people win some, uh, some dream items and some dream trips and some of them almost fantasy items and fantasy trips that they may not have, uh, ever thought were a were a realistic option for them to obtain and uh it's a super fun part of this gig for sure yeah peggy r today i'm not going to say her last name peggy r won the quail hunt in mississippi and i checked her numbers she had donated ten dollars and fifty cents yeah yeah and she's going on a truly top-notch kind of uh 
traditional southern quail hunt that i'm i'm truly jealous of peggy r yeah i haven't heard back from peggy r so i hope peggy r is listening to the podcast and checks her spam folders on her email your name's, maybe... your name's peggy your last name ends with r and your inner supporters it, it begins with r and you're in our supporters program you're missing out if you don't reach out back to us because that's going to be a phenomenal quail hunt have you have you had many people not collect their prize? Uh, oh, I've probably two. had three or four, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. maybe, maybe. Um, just not respond to us. No one's ever said we don't want it. Um, just people that we've sent emails, we sent direct messages, we've done everything we possibly could to get a hold of them, um, and we try steadily for thirty days after the drawing date. Um, so it's not like, you know, they were on holiday or something for a week and, and didn't check their email. Um, but just a couple of the now dozens of prizes that we've given away. Yeah, I heard on one of the one of the podcasts that you had you had to re-give a Spanish hunt away. I can't imagine someone not wanting to go on a Spanish hunt. Gosh, that person is kicking herself. Erica M, I believe. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, that'll be a hard one to pass on. But I will say this. Hopefully everything's okay with Erica M, but you definitely uh Well, somebody else got it, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a it, it's a cool program that we have going. Cool enough that I sometimes am upset that Robbie won't let me rig it and win all the prizes myself. Um <laughs> but uh <laughs> That Spanish hunt, I still have a mother and a father that raised me right, and I would never uh, actually cheat someone out of that Spanish hunt, out of anything. Um, but I will admit it bounced around the back of my head on that Spanish hunt. I wanted that sucker bad. And then she didn't take it, so I thought, why shouldn't I go, right? Don't you think so, Craig? <laughs> you stand in? Yeah, exactly. I'm just trying to do, just trying to do good here, stand in for somebody, but... Well, we've got the supporters program just rocking and rolling right now. Have a look. Uh, you can check out our website for all the items that are up for grabs in July. And there's some incredible prizes up for grabs. Uh, keep us uh, checking our Insta stories. We're constantly updating that. Our conservation club is rocking and rolling. Gosh, I think the last time we were on here, we had maybe two or three individuals in the conservation club. I think we're up to eight, nine, maybe 10 right now, Cody. Yeah, I think we hit ten today. You 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 sent a you dropped a uh, WhatsApp that you picked up another one. I believe that would be number ten. Um, really cool idea, great way for uh, businesses out there to uh, get involved with our mission as well as receive a uh, fully tax deductible receipt from us on their donations. Get a little bit of recognition and just help us keep doing what we're doing. Absolutely. And then lastly, but not least, is the fact that everyone in the US, at least, uh, I don't know if it works overseas or not, but anyone in the US that uses Amazon, Amazon Prime, uh, there is a, a program on Amazon called Amazon Smile, in which Amazon will give their own money to a charity that you choose to designate. And it doesn't cost you anything, a portion of, your, of what you have bought that day a percentage of it gets given to that nonprofit by Amazon and blood origins is signed up for the Amazon smile program. So please, uh, sign us up, uh, for your charity of choice. And you see the work happening every single day. The kicker on that program is you have to go to smile.amazon.com. It then asks you to pick your nonprofit of choice, which Blood Origins is an option. I'm just saying, and then you just can, you just shop from there. But the the slight to minor inconvenience that you have to remember is every time you have to go to smile.amazon.com. Um, so yeah, it's another uh, another way to help us out and keep us moving forward. Keep the lights on. There's also a um. A, a... I noticed on, on Instagram there's now a, a donate button as well, isn't there? That's right. But, yeah, I, I think that um, any way that someone can donate is a great way. Is that working, the one on, um, on Instagram people are, people are giving? 
yes and no. I think we've gotten, you know, 60 bucks. Somebody did a fundraiser for 60 bucks or something like that. I don't think Instagram is the best donating platform because I think Instagram sets it up for 30 days. Like it has to go for 30 days. Um, there's a lot better ways to donate to us. Supporters program, conservation club. Um, you can do fundraisers in Facebook. Um, there's a whole slew of things that you can do for us. Uh, obviously, if you want to do an Instagram fundraiser, absolutely go for it. We'd love to. We'd love to have you. Um, all right, enough around. Enough about admin and discussing blood origin stuff. Let's get stuck in to the roundup this week. And there have been some hot and heavy items happen today that uh, I uh, I wanted to throw into the mix. Um, but Merton, what we typically do is we like to turn it over to our guest to select the first topic uh, that we'd like to discuss. Uh, so if you've got something that we sent you that you want to start on, um, have at it. Well, why don't we start with an Australian one? Um, there was one there I noticed on uh, something on elephants. There was that from elephants roaming for food to the Aussie mouse plague. Have you guys heard much about this plague we've got here? Oh, yeah. So the, the, the title of this article was Eight Incidents from 2021 that show human-animal conflicts are increasing. And the first, the number one human-wildlife conflict was the Australian mice plague. Uh, and, it, uh, and there's a good reason for that, too. It's absolute. I've seen it before, but because our, um, our conditions were so bad up until last year, drought conditions were so bad, and then they had a, we've had two record years in a row, um, it affects the farmers over in the, in the eastern states so badly. There's, you know, it, and it's not just wrecking crops and, and uh, there's houses burnt down because mice have um, chewed wiring out and there's people walking off farms because they just can't handle it. They, there was a thing on the news here the other night, people getting bit, bitten in their sleep. Um, but I think the topper was there was an article put out by Peter that um, was asking farmers oh, yes, if they I could possibly that. humanely, yeah, they could, if they could, the farmers could possibly go out of their way and humanely trap the mice and they could be safely relocated somewhere. <laughs> now, I, I, don't know, I, don't know how, I don't know how Peter's uh, mouse adoption program is going to go, but I think it might <laughs> take a while to take off. Right. You don't think there'll be countries just lining up for cargo ships of, of mice to be? Of I've seen some of the videos, and and it's crazy. I mean, crazy. I don't. I don't really like. What's the science behind why there's? I mean, you're seeing guys like that have barrels full of mice that they're dumping. I mean. You know, and just hundreds of mice in a room. What's the, what's the science? You said it has something to do with you've had good moisture the last couple of years, Craig. Is that right? Yeah, up until last year, the conditions with the drought conditions over in uh, eastern Australia were terrible. Um, you know, when like our feral goats are a very hardy animal. You know, when you see a, a, a skinny feral goat over in the eastern states in that wild goat country. Um, and things like the wild pig numbers would, like, they were they were dropping like flies. Um, that's how bad the the drought conditions were, and people were walking off the land. And and um, then we had these two bumper years, one after the other. Um, and I think that's that's was the cause of it. Um, of course, all the crops went went uh, really well. And and um, yeah, we, we see it here. Usually, when we do have a couple of years of really good conditions, I've seen it where there's a, an area called the Hay Plain, and we used to drive over there. It's about 10 hours from here, and it's a big open expanse of nothing for about two or 300 kilometres, and you were driving across a carpet of dead mice, and the worst thing was that it was killing a lot of native birds, um, eagles and hawks that would swoop down to grab the mice, and you were constantly on a three-hour trip, you were dodging eagles and and uh, trying not to put them through your windscreen. So, yeah, I've seen it here before. I've only ever seen it the once. But, um, yeah, it makes your skin crawl when you see hay sheds and, and start, you know, equipment sheds that are just crawling in mice, and there's not a lot they can do about it. So is it, Robbie, like like the 
the moisture came back, so the food supply did great. So the mouse, the mice reproduced more efficiently. Is that basically what happened? Yeah, absolutely. The food resource base exponentially increased. And as such, the mice that had survived exponentially increased behind. Huh. I wouldn't, it wouldn't, uh, like it really like, like, well, like you said, some houses burned down and people, it, it looked like it. Yeah, I can't imagine that. Like, my wife freaks out if we get one in the cupboard because she didn't put the noodles back in a in a plastic container, you know. Um, and you see those pictures of, like Craig said, houses with hundreds of them running around. We'd be moving, I'll guarantee you. And I've sworn I'm never moving out of this house, but we'd be moving. Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely, it makes your skin crawl when you see... The, the 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 amount of them, but it's not just. There was on one of our current affair shows the other night. A guy, I don't know, I, I can't remember the name of the the disease he actually caught from the mice, and it wasn't being bitten. It wasn't being. It handled the big round hay bales, and a week later he felt ill and he almost lost his life over it. If he hadn't been um, a bit switched on and and got to a hospital, he would have died. They said so. It's not just the. It's not just a visual thing. That can be dangerous too. Yeah. So the rest of the article goes into these different human-animal conflicts, right? It talks about the China elephants that we all watched on the news do this like major trick. They show a Thai elephant, an elephant in Thailand, um, a pretty decent-sized Asian elephant going through a kitchen window. They have that video of the black bear of that woman, the teen, like attacking the black bear on the of the wall, you remember seeing that, Cody? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then they have a, um, they have a, 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 they have two that are really crazy. They have a couple of crazy ones. The next one is called conservation controversy. Um, there was, but there was a grim end to another ursine encounter in Slovakia last week, where uh, ursine brown bear, where brown bear killed a 57-year-old man outside of Bratislava. Uh, so that's Slovakia. And then they slip in the whole wolves issue. Killed 216 wolves in 60 hours, a fifth of the state, entire population. They throw in Donald Trump into it. Right. <laughs> it was a sneaky little like, how is this human wildlife conflict? It was a hunt. I, w I thought it was strange that for the most part, they didn't really go in. I mean, there is a lot more, minus the, the one gentleman that they did talk about getting killed. Um, there's a lot more... Uh, well, and I don't want to downplay the Australian mice incident either. There's a lot more examples happening. Um, after I read the article today, I searched the internet forever. And I cannot find like a good list. Anecdotally, it seems to me like the brown bear attacks in the United States are way up. I said, mm -hmm. I said anecdotally because I cannot find a list. Um, someone just got taken in Montana. Yeah, I just they, Josh Smith on Montana Knife Company said that, and then the news are reporting that it happened out in the woods. And he says, no, it happened behind the freaking fire station in downtown, whatever town. Yeah, in. it was a bicyclist camp. A group of bicyclists, um, in this little town in Montana had stopped to camp, and there was kind of like a known place that allows bicyclists to camp behind this fire station. Um, and a grizzly killed a gentleman there and i i'll keep searching because i don't like to say things anecdotally but it really feels to me like those numbers are way up um in the northern rockies well and you have to include alaska there's been a couple of in alaska this year as well but 2021 has not been a good year for that as well yep yep what's the increase in it's very it's, it's very hard to say something from here because we've got no no predators as such, other than wild dogs, and um, increases in bear attacks. Is that is that caused by uh, an increase in numbers of the bears, or is that people encroaching on habitat? Well, let me let me reiterate that it just feels to me because I can't, I haven't found it yet. I will find it, but it just feels to me like that we're hearing about it a lot more in the U.S. Um, but our grizzly bear population um while it's still not a gigantic amount of numbers is rapidly growing and expanding in the northern rockies 
Um, I don't want to, I'm not trying to cause any arguments here about whether or not it's where it should be, or I, I don't know where it should be, where it shouldn't be. Um, but the population is growing rapidly. Um, I think it's, you can safely say though, Craig, that it's both, um, because there's also been some really big population booms, um, like Bozeman, Montana, that I went to Bozeman, Montana as a child and it was, essentially in my lifetime an old mining town that was barely on the map not that's not true but much smaller than it and it's now the seventh largest micro metropolitan area in the united states it's just exploding so and that's right in the heart of i mean those people when they go out and hike outside of bozeman are in grizzly bear country um but yeah, so it's a combination of both. The bears are population is exploding um, so much so that in 19, I believe three states for the first time in quite a while legalized the a hunt. And I think there was 25 tags issued um, and then a federal judge overrode it like a week before the hunt was to start. Please don't quote me on those details, but it's something like that. So we're going to have major discussions in the coming years. Um, we can't be far from legalized grizzly bear hunting in the lower, in the, in the Northern Rockies in the it's in next five years. That's my prediction that we'll have that because, because of both human population and bear population. Yeah. No, it's just very hard to fathom. Um, when you, when you think, a country like Australia, like we are here, we've got nothing to worry about when we go and hunt. You can camp in the bush anywhere you like. Um, That's not you know, what we think of you here. You got snakes and spiders and crocodiles. <laughs> they're, they're nothing. Oh yeah, they're nothing. That's what we've got a swag for. That's that's why your swag's got a zip on it. Yeah, I don't care. I'm not screwing around with snakes and spiders. <laughs> I'm coming down there to hunt with you someday, and I, you're going to look me right in the eyes and say I'm not going to get bit by some. It's like you guys have seven of the ten deadliest snakes in the world. I watch nine. Nat I watch nine Nat out of the ten. I watch National yeah. Geographic, Craig. Yeah, I've got I've got um, Kiwi friends, and I'd you probably know of New Zealand hasn't got a lot in the way of spiders, and they've got no snakes. Um, bit like us everything was introduced and and uh, i've got kiwi friends that yeah they they wear gaiters that come a, a foot above their knee so they don't get bitten by a snake so um and i made the mistake on a trip two of them came out here probably 15 years ago and a friend and i took them on a wild goat hunting trip and, and my friend decided he was going to play a practical joke and throw a rubber snake in the bottom of his sleeping bag and uh yeah that didn't go down real well <laughs> yeah he's never forgiven well, Craig, me since we're talking about australia since we're talking about australia why don't we stick with the australian topic because there was another article that i threw in there and the article's topic in abc news are uh, released on june the 30th so a very recent uh, article that was hunting shown to contribute more to the economy than the wool industry in new south wales this was a very progressive pro-hunting article. Yeah, no, it's incredible. I looked at that last night when you sent it to me. And, um, and it's not just New South Wales either. I, that that could have something to do with the timing of when they did the survey, I guess. Um, a little bit like the, the mouse thing. Um, wool's very susceptible to, to being affected by drought and that sort of thing. But a lot of those guys in that country in New South Wales were... That was a that was a long drought. That was four or five years. And don't quote me on it, but that was four or five years of drought. And of course, that a lot of people walked off the land, and, and um, sheep production would have been down. But it is it is incredible. And and this, like I said, it's not just New South Wales. Um, I was looking into it, and the statistics showed that with Victoria, where all the uh, with the Victorian high country, where all the salmon deer hunting goes on. Um, it was it was put up that they have the Grand Prix in in Melbourne, the capital city of Victoria, and hunting produced more money or or raised more money for local businesses and that sort of thing 
um, for the state of Victoria than what the, the Grand Prix, the International Grand Prix they hold there. Um, hunting, hunting raised more revenue than a Grand Prix did. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's incredible. Uh, it's hard here because it's – I don't know how you'd ever find the statistics of how many hunters there are um, when you sorted out the target shooters from the, from the actual hunters. But even here in South Australia where we are, it's um, the amount of money I see. We've got a long, a long hunting season. We're not like you guys that are restricted to one animal per state per – year or it's it's open slather here for six months and like our local deer hunters here can hunt deer or most of them hunt for the entire time when they're in hard antler and um and i know just by what i spend um and the guys that i know the, the amount of money that's spent is just incredible i'd love to be able to find out the actual figures for the entire country we lost that what uh no, no, we're here. I was thinking of, uh, I'm going to derail Robbie's agenda for a second, that really quickly, you and I talked about this one time through WhatsApp a couple months ago, Craig, but I think there'd be people listening. How hard is it for a, non, for a, for a foreign hunter to hunt Australia? Like, it's not a thing that I know. I mean, can do is it a long application process? You talk about how much of a hunting season you have. Could can we come down and enjoy that, or is it complicated? Without looking, at, I can only speak for our own state because we don't. I don't travel interstate that much to hunt. But um, no, you can come here. Like our our local hunters here, we have a we have no restrictions. We have no caliber restrictions on what we can hunt deer with. We have um, like Victoria up until recently. You couldn't hunt at night time, so there was no spotlighting, which was a great thing. Um, but that's changed just recently. But no, if, if someone comes, like I said, I've had fr friends come from New Zealand and um, they chose not to bring their own rifles over with them, so they just use my rifles. Um, and the rules, yeah, it, it's not hard at all. Um, you can come over and, and use my rifle under my supervision, um, and all it would all it would entail would be going and getting a, a local general hunting permit. And there is no, there's no restrictions on how many deer you can shoot, which is, I find it, that's the, uh, the thing I can't understand with Australia. We've got all these different states and every state is different. You've got places like Tasmania that has got probably the best herd of fallow deer outside of Europe. Um, and they've got a one month season for one buck and one doe. Um, I think they do have culling seasons into the winter, but then you jump the border into Victoria and you've got to get a, a hunting permit there. They've got a um, they've got caliber restrictions on what you can hunt the samba deer with, and there's no animal number restrictions. And then you jump across the border here to South Australia, and there's no caliber restrictions. There's no um, there's no limit of how many deer you can shoot, and that's 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 a real hard thing to to sort of comprehend here because there's no and then you and, the, and then you've got Queensland on top of that again where the the red deer up there that were gifted by the Queen um, up until and don't quote me on the numbers again but up until five or six years ago they were on the on a um, you had to buy a deer hunting permit now they're open slather you can shoot you can shoot one deer or ten deer um, you know so that. That's what we face here. We've got so many different rules and regulations, and the states are only – it only takes me four hours to drive to Victoria from here. You ready, Cody? Yep. I'm ready. Just as soon as COVID is, uh, allows, <laughs> I'm just going to move into Craig's house for a while. I, I honestly think we should do a tour to Australia and just almost do like a we'll, – we'll rent one of those like crazy RVs and we'll run – the the circle around Australia, and we need to hunt in every state. Hunt the thing that is of the states, like the chittle deer, the axis deer of Queensland, the buffalo of the Northern Territory, the fallow deer where Craig is from, samba deer where in Victoria. Sounds about right, eh? Yeah, yeah, I'm in. I'm in, hundred percent. Craig, set that up for us, okay? Yeah, right. But no, we're very lucky here in South Australia. We've got. Four or five of the six um, deer varieties that, that Australia's got. So 
we've got no buffalo and that sort of thing down down south here, but we've got plenty of deer species and and we've got a very good um, a very good standard of fallow deer down here too. Conditions suit them just right. So and I, I do have a caravan you can hire off me, uh, okay, if you if you'd like for a hundred dollars a day, you can you know save you hiring the uh, the RV. I'm in. I mean, is the, does the hundred dollar caravan fee come with uh, a free Craig Merton guide day rate? Oh no, no, no! That'll cost you. That'll cost you. You've had it here, though, Robbie, haven't you? <laughs> What's cool about this article? I love what I love about this article. Yeah, I hunted the buffalo up in the Northern Territory and and killed the scrub bull as well, and um, a pig and a dingo, or wild dog actually, not really a dingo. Um, had a great time. Loved the Northern Territory. I promised. I promised Cody that uh, I'm going to take him because he's just going to lose his. He's just going to. He's he's never experienced anything like that. It's just pure, pure wilderness. Yeah, she's wild country. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. What I love about this article is that hunting is a 1.4 billion dollar industry in New South Wales, as you said, overtook wool. The only three things that are above it. Or cattle horticulture and sheep meat, um, so it just shows it just shows the ec- economics tied to hunting, which is something that again we don't often see in terms of the consequence of hunting, um, and uh, obviously we want to showcase that constantly. Craig, one of the other articles I put on there, and this is where I want your opinion, and not your opinion, but obviously your expertise, because we're not from Australia, but obviously deer. As you mentioned it already, deer in Australia are essentially invasive. They are pests, quote unquote. Dare I say they are pests? They're classified as pests, but we would like to classify them as a yeah. game resource. I'm sure in the future. Um, but obviously, the government sees it a little differently, and so there's a lot of different programs that are in place in Australia uh, for culling, for poisoning, for uh, sort of pest management. And this article that I put on there was in the sportingshooter.com.au uh, and it said, Poison, Aerial Culls and Professional Hunters Open the New South Wales Park Hunting. So could you give us a, just a little bit of background to that, Craig? A lot of people obviously are not familiar with Australia um, and sort of the whole sort of premise behind culling, poisoning and, and pest management. Yeah, it all varies state to state. Um, like I said, Queensland used to have protection over their red deer up there. And for an unknown reason, I don't know what it is, but uh, that was lifted and up in the, uh, in, the, in the hilly country, in the mountain country in Queensland, up in the, the red deer territory, um, I know there's, there's, aerial, there's aerial culling goes on um, and that's slowly changing to every state. Um, Victoria, they have aerial helicopter shooting. Here in South Australia, it's it's rife. And my biggest problem with that is that everything's wasted. Um, it's not only a, a it's not only a such a waste of a, a a protein that could be, but that that's where you guys have got it all over there. You you can do things. I know you've got a lot of programs with um, donating wild game to homeless shelters and that sort of thing. And when you work out that when you hear the, the physical numbers of the amount of deer that are shot here in Australia, it, it would make you cry. The amount of people that could feed um, if you only put that sort of thing in place. But apparently people have tried and the red tape and the just the, the, the paperwork is just endless and I suppose they've given up. But, um, yeah, there's been... When it comes to the deer, I don't know whether they've gone down the same track they've gone in New Zealand with the with the um, with the poisoning of deer. I know they're trying. There's trapping programs. Um, one of our members in in the West um, was telling me about trapping programs and that are going to happen um, for to target deer specifically. They've, they've apparently they're um, they're building traps that. Uh, Traps that can not capture other animals, so the kangaroos and all the all the native animals are are safe, but they'll they'll capture deer. Um, and there's whispers of poisoning programs. Like I said before, it, 
it's not just a waste of a something that can feed the the homeless of the nation. It's it's such a waste. We've got so much national park and that sort of thing that um, our, there's not a lot of public land hunting in Australia. There's you know Victoria's got quite a lot on the Sambadir, but the other states we lack really badly in the way of um, of public land hunting. There's a bit of you know there's there's wetlands uh, like you pointed out in with True Blood Origins, Robbie, with the ducks in Victoria. But there's not a lot of deer hunting. There is deer hunting in, on public land, but not not like you guys have got. Um, like I said, Victoria's got a lot of it. But there's so many of these national parks that are locked up and, and there's no access to them for anything else. They're, there's conservation parks and national parks that are locked up and they're full of deer and the numbers build up and, you know, they, sh- they should allow... In my eyes, anyway, they should allow, even if it's a, a ballot system or something like that, to allow hunters in there because it's, to me, it's just a waste. You know, you hear, you hear numbers of six or seven hundred deer shot in one area, like in one big national park down here. They said last year, next to one of the properties I hunt on, and they, they put up numbers like six hundred deer that were shot in this national park by a helicopter. And and the thought of that, and and not just because there's all these lovely big antlers, and it, it's the waste of a of a resource yeah it's a totally different system right cody it's just like and i think that's the thing that's coming out of new zealand and australia for the people that are listening that have no idea is this it's almost this struggle this pull and push type scenario between classifying an animal like a deer a game species a resource that someone can use versus being an invasive which it is let's be honest let's tell the truth it is an invasive but they're classifying it as a pest species, which means it rec- it gets government funding for culling and government programs for, as Craig mentioned, trapping and poisoning and whatnot. Craig, if those areas were, this is a genuine, this is just my lack of knowledge of the population of Australia. It, if those areas were opened up, like for instance, um, we have American bison coals here where the government allows hunters to apply for a chance to go in and cull, um, and the our wanton waste laws still apply. You have to take the animal out, um, and the animal has to be used, whether it's donated or you put it in your own freezer. If they open that up to hunters that could go into those areas, you know, and and maybe it's a bigger number. Maybe each hunter in that area is given ten tags. Um, would hunters? Is there the hunter base to step up and take advantage of that? Uh, without looking at numbers, I mean, I don't, I don't want to throw too many numbers around, but, yeah, I think there would be. I, I seriously think with the amount of people that I speak to and through through social media, um, the amount of people that want more public land hunting, and, and even if they charged a tag fee or a, a, a you know, a, a time limit fee, if you, if you paid a certain amount of money to hunt there for it, your allocated week, I'm fairly sure that not everybody can afford to go on a guided hunt. We've got, you know, it's it's limited. The guided deer hunting is very limited. So, and there's there's so many people that just can't afford to do that. Um, yeah, I'm fairly sure that just looking at the speed people I speak to, that yeah, that 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 would work. Yeah, that's the that's the thing I wonder about is why don't you. Anytime the government spends money to do something that citizens would pay the government money to do, seems a little bit ass backwards to me. Like, if you know, if if you got a whole bunch of deer over here in this place, and it's too many deer for the ecosystem, which no one's arguing that. There, there are some places, right, where there's just too many deer for the ecosystem. Um, instead of spending, I don't know, but anytime a helicopter takes off, somebody spent a whole bunch of money. Helicopter pilots don't come cheap. Helicopters don't come cheap. And aircraft fuel doesn't come cheap. Um, and when you flip that around and say, you know, for X dollars, you know, the, the Craig Mertens of Australia would pay X number of dollars to go and do this. And yes, that one person on foot isn't as efficient as the helicopter. But if you got 
several dozen or a hundred guys. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not claiming to understand the geography, but I've never understood why the government would spend money to waste meat when you can make money to use the resource. It, uh, it really seems backwards to me. Um, there's, and there's no argument. There's no argument. There's no argument from the, even from the antis, right? What it, it's the same end result. It's dead deer is the end result. But here's a group that would pay the government, not use tax money and use the meat versus this group that's going to use tax money and leave the animal to rot in, in, the, in the wilderness. It, I don't, makes yeah, no, no sense to me. No, I, I'm, I far be it from me to critique. I don't like critiquing other countries when I don't understand the situation. Um, but I will critique that very specific example, 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 example. If the, if the, if the deer population needs reduced, why wouldn't we let citizens pay to legally do it? doesn't make any sense. to me. Exactly. I'll come down. I'll pay some money to be a part of a, of a deer call in Australia. Yeah, it's it's just such a waste. And like like you said, Cody, that it costs what does it cost? Fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars a an hour to run a helicopter with a and God knows how much a shooter would cost. And then you've got the pilot on top of it. It would be a huge cost. And you think, and 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 you you hit the nail on the head too. That no one's um, arguing that this doesn't have to happen. No one wants to see far too many deer and 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 you know things get eaten out of house and home but um surely there's a way and i, I think it all i can't see how it can change here that's the problem and i'll probably get shot shot down in flames for saying this but I, there's there's a lot of different things that um and i know um, it's not a maybe i will get shot down in flames but i've got big shoulders um if hunters can sometimes be their own worst enemy here too and up I'm a little bit guilty of it myself that I'm a I take it you know lots from a deer that I hunt. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a meat shooter. I'm mostly a trophy hunter, but um, I'll still hang out for that one big deer, even though we haven't got the restrictions that you guys have got where you can only take one deer. You're always going to hang out for that one big buck that you chase, and so many of us, and like I said, me included. Don't hunt enough females. Don't don't take enough. Um, years ago, we had a guy, an American guy, actually, Robbie, um, by the name of Brian Murphy. He came out to Australia and started a program in Tasmania where they've got the good herd of fallow deer over there. It was called, from memory, it was called the Quality Deer Management Program. And he spent months out here in Australia trying to improve the fallow deer herd in Tasmania, and it worked a treat, apparently. Um, I've hunted Tasmania on you know quite a few Tasmanian hunters, and when it went ahead, it actually worked for years. I don't know how many years afterwards, and um, they improved the herd because they they stopped taking younger bucks and that sort of thing. And I think that's what we've got here that the government sees that hunters don't do. And like I said, I'm guilty of it. I, I'll I'll pass up a shooting a doe because I'm waiting for a big buck. So yeah, we're probably our own worst enemy too. Yeah, Brian Murphy was the CEO of the QDMA for quite some time here in the United States. QDMA has just become the National Deer Association. So, no, we're very familiar with it. The whitetail deer population here in the United States has been, you know, sort of under under a QDMA, mostly under a QDMA scenario for most private properties. So, um, no, I think that, uh, you know, let's put it on the horizon, a Blood Origins project in Australia to try and convince some sort of government entity to allow us to bring hunters to the fold instead of them using their aerial gunners to utilize the resource and uh, bring some money back into the tax coffers. But you've only got to look at the, we've got a wild pig population in Australia, which is, and I don't know how many millions of pigs there are. Um, the drought knocked them around fairly well, but, um, but at least that's got a commercial value too. You've got the guys that, and I don't know how many full-time livings are made out of it, but the wild pig uh, industry, when the chillers were running in New South Wales, and I think they were in Queensland as well, there was guys 
you know, in some of those rural areas, work's hard to find. And uh, the wild pig actually fed a lot of people and kept a lot of people employed, but there's not that here with the deer. Um, so there's no, I, I think there's people have tried to do it, but yeah, there's not a commercial side with the deer harvesting thing here. So that's another, uh, another reason why they do it with a chopper and any way they can. Why isn't there a commercial side of the deer? I mean, if, if they allowed wild pig to be commercialized, why isn't, why is the deer, is the meat just not, why, why isn't there a commercial side to the deer? I'm not actually sure, Cody. I know there's, there's one guy up in Queensland that I think that, um, I think there is, but it's not so much for human consumption. I think the, the pet food industry takes um, a lot of deer in, in some of the northern states. Uh, I'm not sure what goes on in Victoria and New South Wales, but I know there's one commercial um, guy that does uh, um, human consumption venison out of, out of um, but I think it's mostly the kangaroo, the commercial kangaroo shooters that do shoot a few deer as a, as a sideline, but it, there's, it's not done in a big way here, and I'm not quite sure why. Yeah, it's an interesting subject. It's so different. You know, Australia and New Zealand. New Zealand, obviously, you can uh, sell venison. Um, and the guy that you're talking about, Craig, we know him quite, uh, we don't know him quite well. We've connected with him, and I need to connect back with him. Um, so let's, uh, we're going close to the top of the hour. I do want to talk about the, I'll do one last plug of the things that happened today, the craziness that happened today. And that happened in the United Kingdom, in which there is a. So let me just let me step back a little bit so that everyone is familiar with what's happening in the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom is currently is a is a parliament and has a prime minister, and that prime minister is a guy called Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson is not married. Boris Johnson has a girlfriend. Her name is Carrie Simons. Carrie Simons is a very strong animal rights activist and is one of the individuals behind the whole trophy hunting ban and all these other grass shooting bans, all of these bans that are coming up in the UK because, hey, I'm the girlfriend of the prime minister. And so she's also tied in with this charity called Aspinall, the Aspinall Foundation. And they are an animal Listen to this carefully, Cody. They're an animal conservation organization. Okay. Keep going. And they have decided that they are going to rewild 13 elephants from the, the rolling hills of Kent in the United Kingdom, and they're going to send them to Kenya. And they're going to connect with a very, you know, I, I actually, the, the, the people that they want to connect with in, in, in Kenya is the, the Daphne Sheldrick Wildlife Trust. And when I was a youngster in South Africa, I actually wrote to the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust because I wanted to go work for them because they have baby rhinos and baby elephants and they, they, they raise them up and they, re, and they introduce them back into populations. They've done like 260 of them. So these 13 elephants are going to have lived their entire lives in the UK and they're going to be sent back to, the, to Kenya. Guesses on the price tag? More than $50. Definitely more than $50. <laughs> about a million pounds to do this translocation. They're going to put all the elephants together. They don't want to separate them. They don't want them to be sad. All this kind of stuff. Well, it turns out that there was a media release today by the Kenyan Department of Ministry and Wildlife <laughs> in which the, the, the press release said, we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> We've never heard about this. And by the way, rewilding is very expensive, is very risky, and typically never works. So uh, I'm chuckling because it's just, it's, it's like you couldn't have asked for something better. Then all of a sudden, these British tabloid articles that are typically always against us, always against hunting. The latest headlines this evening were Carrie Simon's foundation gets shut down by the K Kenyan government. 
<laughs> for translocating their elephants. I don't. Yeah, I, this stuff blows my mind when you think of if you have a million pounds and you want to do right by animals, moving these 13 elephants back to Africa is about a number 11,000 on the list of things that you could do to help animals with that 1 million pounds. And I don't understand, I don't under, it, it, it blows my mind that putting 13 elephants on an airplane, someone thought, this is it. This is what we should do. Call all your rich friends. Let's do this. Do you think they're going to issue refunds? <laughs> no, probably not. She's going to get a new car or something. I, I, I don't mean that. I, I don't know what they're going to do. No one thought? No one thought, hey, we should call the Kenyans and see if they want them. That never crossed anybody's mind. That never crossed a single person's mind. Call, do we call somebody in Kenya? Oh, they're prob they're probably the lucky that the plane didn't just roll up and yeah, they didn't want them then. Yeah. Yeah. Turn around. Take them back. Yeah, we don't want them. It's, it's crazy, man. It's this whole, you know, and they, they couch this whole like, we don't want elephants in zoos any longer, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, that happened today. Crazy. I read through about how they were going to slowly start putting them in smaller places to train them to be on the airplane oh, for yes. the flight. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Like yes. they were going to start shrinking the size of the buildings that they were in so that they would feel comfortable on the airplane. When, the, when, the, when that airplane goes off the ground with 13 awake elephants in it, good Lord, we need to video that. I thought the very same thing. You wouldn't want to be the pilot, would you? No, not. I'm, I would want some type of an aircraft I could get out of, and I would wear my parachute the entire time. <laughs> but no, it. Uh, it. Uh, I mean, what kind of airplanes built if one of the elephants just gets mad? No, no airplanes built to handle that. That's not a thing. Nobody thought they should call the Kenyans. This is the, this is the overwhelming message of the whole thing. That's like if somebody was going to put 13 elephants on my little 40 acres here and they never crossed their mind to call me and see if I wanted the damn things. It, that, it, people, people are just ignorant and there's nothing, there's nothing else to it. I thought you were going with a different story completely on your buildup. There was some really good news out of Parliament as well, right, today? Go ahead. Oh, I thought you were going to take it. They're, they're going to actually... So the United Kingdom has... Yes, I'll take it if you want me to take it. No, no, stumbling. I'll get it. And then you, I'll, I'll stumble and then you repair. The United Kingdom has passed many laws and bans on imports. And, and they, they have passed the laws already. Like, like and now Connecticut doesn't remember that we fought to be free of the United Kingdom 220. 40, 50 years ago, so they're following suit. But Parliament, somebody in Parliament said, hey, wait a second. We never thought about that. This is kind of, it's kind of the same thing. Like, <laughs> we never called Africa. We, we never asked those folks. But somebody in Parliament, uh, just in the last couple of days, has launched a review of these policies because somehow they thought maybe they were detrimental to the communities and the financial status of Africa, which no shit, Sherlock, but there's a whole bunch of us that have been pounding that for years now. Um, I don't want to be negative. I'm, I'm encouraged. I mean, hopefully they, they get on a plane or they at least call somebody, right? Right. Say, hey, do, do you guys mind that we're shutting down the industry that maintains your rural areas completely? Is that okay with you? Oh, and by the way, we've got 13 elephants we need to put somewhere too. Can you just, <laughs> can you take them? I, but no, I, I thought, don't you think that's an encouraging thing that they're at least reviewing? No, it? it's fantastic. So what Cody's referring to is that in, in the UK, the queen passed this whole idea of trophy hunting ban, right? She didn't really call it that. What it's called is the Animal Abroad Act. And this Animal Abroad Act has now gotten to a point where, as Cody said, 
they're like, mm, maybe we need to understand like what the implications are of us passing this act. And so they've put out this review call, this review call, which is if you have any information for us about what this ban would do, please let us know. So uh, anyone out there, uh, we're going to do obviously a bunch of stuff with it. I actually may talk about it in the Talking Head this weekend. And um, we, need to, we need to put our input in. We need to give the science in. We need to showcase what this will mean for Africa. So yes, very, very good news uh, on, on two fronts. <laughs> and this, this, the six questions that they specifically put out are very good. They're, 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 uh, they have a deadline of September 23rd to answer six questions. My God, if they look at the facts, this might actually be a positive thing um, for rural Africa coming out of the, holy shit, nobody called the Kenyans about 13 elephants on an airplane. Craig, you were right. I almost wish the Kenyans hadn't found out until the airplane landed. <laughs> And then they were just standing there shaking, just standing there shaking their heads like, nope, take them back. Don't open the door. We don't want them. Yeah. <laughs> well, Merton, anything else on your heart before we say goodbye to you? No, nah, just, I'd just like to say, um, you talk about in, in, in setting up the, the Blood Origins Australia thing. Um, you say how good it is that Australians are getting on board and stuff, but we've also got to look at the fact that, and you said it to me once, that it's time. It's time for something new. Um, and this isn't a this isn't a crawling thing. This is. I'd just like to thank you for actually taking the time to want to set something up here because we do need to do something. Like you said, we're we're a country full of pest animals. That's what we'll call them. I don't call them that. I like to think of them as, I mean, all the animals we hunt here in Australia aren't native. Um, we're not allowed to shoot a kangaroo, though they are, but you have to do it on a permit system. Um, everything we hunt is non-native, um, but we're not native either, Robbie. Um, so, yeah, just to have you set up Blood Origins and do what you're doing and pushing that bloody stone up the mountain, I'd just like to say thank you on behalf of all our crew here. and. Um, and and it is growing. It's getting bigger and bigger. You've only got to look at that thing we did with the t-shirts, and I'm sure I'm sure people have got a cupboard full of t-shirts, and they just buy one to put forty dollars into the coffers of Blood Origins to see something happen. And I think it's it's bloody brilliant the way the Australians have got on board because we are a very passionate crew. We just need to to band together. We just need to get together and and put some egos aside and actually do something about it. Because like I've said before, Robbie, once it's once it's gone, um, it's too late to do anything then. So, yeah, thanks, thanks. And, you know, for, for all you guys have done for, you know, it's um, not just here but in Africa and bloody everywhere that, that this sort of thing's needed. So, yeah, thank you. You're welcome, Merton. We appreciate you very, very much. And thank you for joining us on the podcast, man. No problem. Uh, Cody, any last words? I'm solely focused on planning a hunting trip I'm going to need pictures of your caravan, Craig. <laughs> I'm going to need like a, uh, I'm not sure about that deal, um, but we're going to need to check that out. But I, I promise you this, I don't do much. I'm inherently, a fa I'm, I'm a big fan of, of uh, sitting in my house and enjoying it. Um, but I don't say that I'm going to do things and then not try very, very hard to pull those things off. And I I will admit that going back to Africa is my number one um, priority for for international hunting over the next two years, two to three years. But it's very very closely followed in priority in the same time frame of uh, coming down to Australia and uh, chasing chasing deer and hogs and whatever else you can get us onto around down there because i've always been fascinated with the country um the history of australia is a thing that i, I would put myself in the top five percent of americans with knowledge of australian history because the place fascinates me it always seems like it has a 
it's a close cousin to the American Wild West, which is my favorite time frame in the world. And uh, I'm I'm coming. So hopefully every time you said I'm welcome, you meant it and weren't just blowing smoke because I'm going to show up on your doorstep someday. And I do that, mate. We'll sit around a campfire and I think you'd love it. It's uh, that We'll make it the Wild West for you, Cody, but the price of the caravan has just gone to $200 a day. Damn it. Can I just get a picture? Like, I'm convinced that you've cut the roof off of it or something. I just need to see it, and then I'll I'll sign the contract to rent it. <laughs> don't worry about the caravans, mate. I've got a, a spare swag, and you know what a swag is, don't you, Cody? I don't. I don't know what a swag is, and sometimes your lingo throat scares me about what you're talking about. No, what's a swag? Well, I know I know you take the piss out of Robbie about his about his um about his accent, but a swag. You will get to understand me eventually. A swag is a six-foot-long, double-rolled piece of canvas with a zip or a few studs, and it'll keep the snakes out, mate. Don't worry about the caravan. I've got a spare swag, and then you throw it on the ground, you're perfectly safe. And you're welcome when you like, brother. Because of my smart ass. <laughs> thanks, Merton. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. No worries at all, guys. Have a great day. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.